Well, we're all struck, I believe, by displays of power. There's something captivating about power. Wouldn't you agree with that? The power of an animal, like a tiger, crouching, going toward its prey, or a raging bull that makes everybody run for cover except the circus clowns. The power of an army marching in lockstep. The power of a weapon like a tank or a battleship. Just stops you in your tracks, right, when you see that kind of power. Well, of all human creations, the most powerful is the nuclear bomb. That image of a mushroom cloud is one that I think is etched permanently in people's minds when they see that as we are reminded about that incredible power, that sober reality that humanity literally possesses the power to destroy this entire planet. That's power. But that power is dwarfed by the power revealed in nature. We've heard recently about the Carolinas and being hit hard by Hurricane Florence. Did you know that during the life cycle of a hurricane, it can release as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs? Unbelievable. As powerful, though, as hurricanes are, they're child's play to what are called hypernovas. Ever heard of a hypernova? It's an exploding star, but not just any old star, a huge star. Imagine a star about 150 times the size of our sun, and that thing explodes. That's what a hypernova is. And when it does, the energy, the power of that explosion is unfathomable. Just to give you a perspective, the amount of power that strikes the earth from the sun in one hour, we could use all of that power. It's it's basically more power than all the inhabitants of the earth use in a whole year. One hour. I mean, I find that remarkable because I feel like I spend probably five hours a day at my house turning off light switches. But yet somehow there's still more power striking the earth from all the sun in one hour. But anyway, such hypernova explosions produce, just to give you a perspective here, as much energy in a few seconds as the sun produces in 10 billion years. Did you get that? That's crazy. So a hypernova explosion, they say, produces as much power and energy as 10 trillion, trillion, billion megaton bombs. That's power. So what does God think of these displays of power in nature, like a hurricane or a hypernova? Well, in Job 26, after discussing God's mighty acts in nature, it says in verse 14, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. So it's not like God does these things 
and he, he's exhausted, he passes out because that was everything he had inside of him. No, it's a fraction. It's a little bit. It's a whisper. Scratches the surface. The power of God is stunning and unfathomable. And I think it's one of the reasons why when we think of God, right, when you think of who God is, you think of power, right? You think of power. Now, it's often said of God that he is omnipotent. That word omnipotent comes from two Latin words, omni, all, and potent, powerful. That word doesn't appear in the Bible, but everywhere in the Bible you see it reflected that God is infinitely powerful. In the Old Testament, one of his titles was El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Genesis 71, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Power is just inherent to God. I love Psalm 62, 11. It says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And God is able to do things that are seemingly impossible. Genesis 18, 14, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that question? Job 42.2, Job says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then Jeremiah 32.17 declares, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Got a few more verses here. Luke 1.37, the angel Gabriel told Mary about her impending supernatural conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to her, nothing is, will be impossible with God. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things. This week I read a cute story. It's about a young boy traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents, and he sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school take-home paper when the professor thought he would have some fun with the young boy, and he said, young man, said the professor, if you can tell me something God can do, I'll give you a big, shiny apple. The boy thought for a moment and then replied, mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. <laughs> Touche. Friends, God can do all things that he pleases. And he does them without any exertion. It was no more difficult for God to create the universe than for God to create a caterpillar. He doesn't grow weary, right? A lot of activity going on. There's going to be probably a lot of naps this afternoon. People are wiped out. I'll probably take one. But God doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to replenish his strength. He doesn't need an outside source. He doesn't have to wake up and go to Starbucks. He doesn't need Gatorade or strength. He has no weaknesses like Superman with kryptonite. God is omnipotent. Now, as we talk about the omnipotence of God, it's almost impossible not to talk about another attribute of God. 
and that's his sovereignty. By sovereignty, I mean that God actually exercises all of his power. He not only possesses all power, which is omnipotence, but he executes all power. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes, Sovereignty and omnipotence must go together. One cannot exist without the other. To reign, God must have power. To reign sovereignly, he must have all power. So no one can stop God. He's completely free to carry out his will. Ephesians 1.11 says, no one can, or it says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So friends, let's, let's see this morning what the Bible says about the power of God. Amen? We're going to see four ways that God demonstrates his power, his power over creation, his power over humanity, angels, and salvation. And then we're going to stop and say, how does this impact my life? Seeing what the Bible says about God, his power, and his sovereignty. So first, let's start with God's power over creation. As Adam said, God created the universe out of nothing. As I look across this room, I see some very intelligent people. <laughs> and humble, too. <laughs> so all of you really intelligent people, explain for us how you can make something from nothing. Even the smallest thing around, make something from nothing. Please explain how that is done. Got kind of quiet, right? Only God. Remember teaching kids a long time ago, getting, talking about God creator, and that we would make paper airplanes, and they would have a competition. Who could throw the paper airplane the longest? And say, okay, okay, okay. Now I want you to make a paper airplane out of nothing. And they instantly go, oh, how do you do that? You can't. It's only God can do that. He made a universe out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33, 9, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And this universe that he made is so vast, so gigantic. I think the latest estimates are around 100 billion light years in diameter. I mean, do you get how big that is? A light year, remember, a light travels 186,000 miles per second. I didn't say a year, I said a second. So the light travels around the earth seven times in one second. So imagine how far in one year. That's incredible. But then multiply that by 100 billion. Unbelievable. And it might be bigger. Who knows? So creation reveals God's power. When we look at it, we should see that God is immensely and incredibly powerful. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. 
And God's power isn't limited just to the initial act of creation, which is unbelievable, but he also sustains all of creation, doesn't he? Theologians call this the providence of God, and his providence is complete. He controls all things. He controls the weather patterns and things that go on. He controls the plant and animal life. Jesus noted how even the death of seemingly insignificant creatures do not happen apart from the will of God. Matthew 10, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. A bird dies. It's part of God's control over creation. Every atom is under God's control. The great theologian Martin Luther said how we often underestimate God's control over the world. We just take it for granted. But it is such an amazing thing and should stir such praise within his people about the power of God that this universe just continues to march on the way it does. He says, God's wonderful works which happen daily are lightly esteemed. Not because they are of no import, because they, but because they happen so constantly and without interruption. Man is used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds all creation. Because things daily run their appointed course. It seems insignificant and no man thinks it worth his while to meditate upon it and to regard it as God's wonderful work. And yet it is a great wonder that the, that the Christ fed 5,000 men with five loaves. And yet it is a great wonder that that Christ fed 5,000 men with five loaves and made wine from water. So God's power to control the universe is mind-boggling. And of course, God also has the power to suspend those laws of nature, doesn't he? The Bible calls miracles. I thought this morning we could go through every miracle of the Bible. (laughs) I did that because I knew I'd get a reaction. You know there's a lot of miracles in the Bible, right? God's a miracle-working God. He's doing them to the present day. He hasn't stopped doing them. So remember that miracles, they're not any harder for God than just regular daily events of the world. They're regular to us, but they're not to God. They're not too hard for an almighty God. God rules over this creation. Do you believe that? Second, God's power over angels. God's power over angels. Talking about power earlier. Well, angels are incredibly powerful spirit beings. Remember that story in the Old Testament in, in Isaiah 37 when they are just about to be attacked by Assyria and decimated? One angel slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. That's pretty tough, isn't it? But God rules over thousands and thousands of angels. He resides in the presence of innumerable angels who do his bidding. Remember when Jesus said that at any point he could call 12 legions of angels, and a legion had 6,000, 72,000 angels at his disposal. He was in control over them. But he also has power over fallen angels, what we call demons. God allows demons to possess power, but he never relinquishes power. Remember last summer the story of Job? 
how Satan inflicted great harm upon Job. Can you imagine if Satan was allowed full control? You think things are bad now? What happened to Job in a little window? That would be the story of all humanity. Satan is under the control of God Almighty. That's why Martin Luther said that Satan is, or the devil is God's devil. He controls even him. He might rule over fallen humanity, but he does not rule over this world to somehow regard that sometimes you get this impression in talking to Christians that Satan is sovereign over this world is blasphemous. He's on a leash and he has power, but God is sovereign over Satan and all of his angels. I think we should spend a lot less time talking about the power of Satan and praise and honor God who is truly the ruler over all things, including demons. Because one day he's going to throw Satan in the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. Third, God's power over humanity. Scripture teaches two truths. Humans make responsible choices. We're not robots. We're not puppets. We make real decisions. Second, God controls our lives. God doesn't just passively rule over our decisions, but he guides them to his own goals while not overriding our choices. A whole lot more could be said about that, right? And how those two fit together. That's another sermon. But the Bible teaches unequivocally those two truths. That man has this creaturely freedom, but yet it is not apart from the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Even mighty rulers, they have been given authority by God to reign. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? The man who had authority to decide whether he was going to live or die? And did Jesus somehow shrink back in that moment and grovel or something? No, he said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been granted you from above. And even individuals, God controls those rulers. Proverbs 21.1 says, the, heart, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. They would irrigate, irrigate water in those days, right? Water was not always plentiful. And so here's a stream of water. You take some kind of stick or device and you just start navigating that stream of water however you want. God has the power to do that. You say, well, that's okay. That's individuals, but what about nations? Same thing. No different. Nothing changes. God's still in control. In the book of Daniel, God predicts the the upcoming empires to Daniel said, look, this is what's going to be going on in the next 1,000 years. These are the mighty kingdoms that are coming. Would you like to know them? Here they are. Boom, 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 boom. And that's exactly what happens. He not only knew it would happen, but he orchestrated that they would happen. Psalm 115, 2 to 3 says, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Isaiah 40, verse 17 says, All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. 
Psalm 33, 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. You know, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world. I'm thankful to live in this country. But it's nothing to God. Same with China, Russia, India, Japan, Daniel 4.35, listen to this, it's one of the best summaries of God's power over humans and angels. You should know these verses. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? I've heard it said before, talking about how God and Satan and humans, how we all interact with one another, that God has a vote, Satan has a vote, and that you have the deciding vote. And that's what determines everything. Friends, God's sovereignty is not up for a vote. We do have responsibility, and his sovereignty encompasses that and empowers that. But God is always in control. We make all authentic choices, but never outside of God's sovereignty. He rules over all things. In his book about God's attributes, A.W. Pink says, being infinitely elevated above the highest creatures. He is the most high Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can thwart him, none can hinder him. So he rules over creation. He rules over angels. He rules over humanity. And we see God's power over salvation. God doesn't paint a rosy picture of humanity apart from God's saving work in our lives. Ephesians 2.1 declares that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are unresponsive to the true God. Romans 3.10 says that no one seeks God. Now, we might believe that God exists. We might have some kind of motivation, some kind of hunger for spirituality. We might want to be a good person. We might recognize that there is something beyond ourselves. We have a desire to worship, right? Right? But apart from God doing something in our lives, we don't seek him on his terms and seek to live out his commands. What we do instead is we have that desire to worship and we put something in the place of God, don't we? What the Bible calls idols. They might be religious, they might be non-religious, but there's something in our lives that becomes worship. So friends, God must draw us to himself and make us alive in Christ. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to him unless the Father who sent me draws him. Friends, God opens up our blind eyes so that we can actually see our sin and its hideous 
hideousness to God. God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that wants to honor God and rightly acknowledge that he's on the throne and that you and I need to step off of our throne that we think we're on and let God be on the throne. Amen? It takes a work of God to do that. Our hearts are hard. I've told you before, I go back to when I became a Christian. The day before, I was making fun of my brother who had become a Christian. Not in a mean spirit, but just kind of jabbing at him and then argued with him on the way to church, trying to trip him up. But God tripped me up. It takes power to change our hearts. That's what the Bible teaches. It takes power to make the spiritually dead become spiritually alive. But here's the wonderful thing, is that the gospel is powerful. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Power of God. If you believe there is a power there that transforms your life, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you said, you know, I just, I've, I, what you said connected, I, you know, I kind of have a desire for spirituality. I want to be a better person and, and I know there's something beyond that, but I've never really been transformed by God, what you speak of. There's power in this message. God takes this message and transforms people and so that they realize that, yes, I do need forgiveness. Yes, I need the grace of God. And it only comes by believing that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and rose from the dead. And I believe. When you believe, you're transformed by the power of God. That power that made a universe can transform even the hardest heart. So if you're sitting here today and you think, boy, you don't, but you don't know what I've done, doesn't matter. God knows, and he says a promise that he can transform your life by his power. Believe in the gospel today, and you will experience that power. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. What a picture of God that we get from the scriptures, Amen. He is omnipotent, almighty. He is sovereign. He rules over creation, angels, humans, salvation. We need this, don't we? We need this because I think, unfortunately, this big view of God that we should have, it just sort of naturally deflates, doesn't it, by life circumstances and so forth? We need to have it regularly reinflated, because just like an inner tube, if we don't, it just sort of leaks out, right? And could be bad news if you're out in the ocean or something, and that inner tube gives out on you. You need to have it reinflated so it's strong. We need that view of God that comes through the Word of God. So I hope something today struck you about this picture of God. And let me also ask you, as you have heard this, how can you live your life differently as a result? How can you live your life differently as a result of what you've heard? Maybe you're losing a battle with temptation and need God's power to conquer it.
Maybe you're in a really difficult, prolonged trial and you need God's power to endure. Maybe you have loved ones who don't know Christ and you need a reminder that no one is beyond the power of God to save and so you keep praying. Maybe you have a physical need and want God to meet it. God is powerful enough to do so. Friends, we need power to live the Christian life, don't we? We're weak. But praise be to God, he is almighty. That power does not come from us, but it comes from him as we seek him in prayer. Let's bow our hearts in prayer for a few moments. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of who you are, that you are almighty, and you sit very comfortably on your throne. You have not budged. You have not moved. You don't have to lean over because you're worried. Lord, I pray these words would be a source of encouragement for us today. Because we just have that natural tendency to watch that view of you shrink and diminish. I pray that your Holy Spirit would reinvigorate that view today. And Lord, I pray for folks here today of one way they can pray this week where they are struggling, where they need a view of your power, and they want to appropriate that in their lives, always according to your will, not so we can go jump over a building, but, Lord, something that you have placed in our lives where we realize we can't do this ourselves. We need you. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious and blessing and strengthening your church with greater power. And let me close with this benediction from Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.